Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Today we want to talk, continue in this series on being charged by talking about the Great Commission. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, we'll just do verses 16 through 20 and just get into the Word of the Lord and and see what God has to say to us from His Word. Thank you for praying, uh, Cody, and again, let's get into the Word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, it's going to be on your screen here as well. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christianity is invasive. It's invasive. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, invasive. It's not to be localized with you. It's meant to be spread. It's meant to be compassionately but consistently introduced to everyone, everyone in the world, in fact. Um, And that makes some of us uncomfortable. Even Christians, it makes uncomfortable. A recent study found that 47%, nearly half of all who would consider themselves to be millennials and professing Christians, they say it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. We call that proselytizing. Most Christian millennials, or I should say almost half, that were surveyed believe it's wrong for you to do that. And another study shows that about two in five practicing Christians say they have no non-Christian friends or family members. And so what that means is that we've got some work to do. If we're to understand what Jesus Christ has actually commissioned us to do. Um, And what I want to talk to us about today is exactly what we have here in our series on being charged, gospel power and gospel mission, because Jesus, through this great commission, has both empowered us and he has promised to be with us as we go and make disciples. So there's three points I just want to make and get out of your way from this text. Number one is that Jesus has complete authority. And number two, Jesus has given us some clear instructions. And number three, Jesus has assured us of his comforting presence. So in our text, let's talk first about Jesus' complete authority. Jesus is speaking to his followers on the side of this mountain in Galilee. 
Most of his disciples that were with him, that followed him to Jerusalem, were from his hometown of Galilee. So after he died and was raised from the dead, he told uh, Mary to, and the, the ladies that found him after he was raised from the dead to go and tell my brothers to meet me back in Galilee. And these men and these women, they saw how Jesus walked. They saw how he lived. They ate with him. They slept uh, in the same area with him. They fished with him. They worked with him. They listened to him. Their entire lives were wrapped up in his. His arrival in their lives changed everything about them, changed everything about him. They saw the miracles that he performed. Uh, they felt his mercy and compassion for them and for the world. And then they watched him die. They watched him die. They watched him being wrapped up and placed in a tomb. They mourned his death. And for many of them, this was the end of a good thing. And here's what many of them did not expect, though they should have. He was raised from the dead. And so now, on the side of this mountain, Jesus, can you imagine it if you've got that movie or a cinematic mind? You just see him coming up over the horizon, and you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And there Jesus appears to them. And the Bible says that when they saw him, they worshipped him. But don't stop there. It says, but some doubted. Some doubted. Some of them prostrated themselves on the, the floor before him. Some of them, when they saw him, they said, oh, my Lord and my God. Some of them, when they saw him, they said, I can't believe it's you, but I'm glad it's you, and I know it's you, and I worship you. But some stood back. Some hesitated. Some Doubted, hesitated is what that means. They weren't sure what they were seeing because, you know, Jesus was dead and that's normally a permanent condition. But can you imagine the flood of emotion that you would feel if your teacher, your leader, somebody that you invested your life into, uh, you watch them die this cruel, public, shaming death that Jesus did and now he's standing right in front of you. Because here's the thought, if, if the Romans didn't defeat him, and if the Jews didn't defeat him, and if death didn't defeat him, then what can defeat him? He really is the true king. And what kind of power is this that he would be raised from the dead and standing right before us? But when you think about this, think about this. How would you have reacted to Jesus? We got too many ghost stories, y'all. Some of y'all would have just run. Wouldn't have just been worship or doubt. It would have just been run, right? But worship or doubt? Because the thing about it is, how do we react today? Because Jesus is still raised from the dead. And when we encounter him, are we thinking that the fact that he's alive requires our complete and full devotion, because that's what worship is. Our lives given completely for him. 
our thoughts no longer being our thoughts, our desires no longer being our desires. We only sit at His feet and learn from Him and we're fed from Him by Him and we love Him. Is it complete devotion or is it? Ah, I don't know. Because the thing that He then says to them is all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Friends, this is a remarkable claim because there is nothing and no one with more authority than Jesus. Do you believe that? And that's why Jesus can confidently tell these apprehensive, hesitant disciples, go therefore and make disciples. Because listen, the reason that we go is not our authority. It's Jesus's authority. It's not our strength. It's his strength. It's not our power. It's his power. It's not even our mission. It's his mission. So Jesus says, I'm declaring to you right now, I'm king of kings. I'm in control. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fret because all authority has been given to me. And, and you know, in, in this book of Matthew, um, he's been setting up right from the start that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples get into a boat. And when they get into that boat, uh, a great storm arises on the sea. And, and so the boat is swamped by the waves. And if you know something about the story, the disciples are getting a little bit annoyed because Jesus ain't worried. Not only is Jesus not worried, Jesus is asleep, <laughs> right? Probably drawing some snores. And they, they go and they wake him and they say, save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he says to them, why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? Come on, y'all know we, we're in Florida. We, we know what hurricanes look like, right? And can you imagine being in, uh, uh, in the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of a hurricane and the only one that can probably do anything about it is asleep. And when you go to wake him, he is like, what y'all worried about? <laughs> I'm worried about this storm. And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And all of his disciples only, they began to marvel. They began to wonder, and they said, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? I want you to know that Jesus not only has authority over some of the things you think he has authority, he has authority over nature itself. He is the creator of nature. And so he has authority over nature. Another story, when they get to the other side of the sea, they, they get into this country called the Gadarenes, and two fierce men run out of the tombs, and these men are... The Bible says it says that they are possessed by demon spirits, right? They're filled with evil spirits, and they live in the tombs. And so they confront Jesus and his disciples, and, and they cry out, What have we to do with you, O son of, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And Jesus sets these men free from the power that they could not overcome by themselves. Nobody in town could help them. And, and, and he just tells the evil spirits, go. Just one word, go. 
And, and there's some things I want you to know. There's some things that we have in our lives, maybe some addictions, maybe some people around us, maybe some, some things that we are going through that we have not yet submitted. And if we would just bring them to Jesus, he has the authority to say, go. Just go. And, and those demons left those men and went into some pigs and went over the side of the cliff. And I want you to know that Jesus has authority over nature, but he also has authority over the demons in your life. Any addictions, any anxieties, any oppression, even any sickness, Jesus has power. And one more story. This isn't in Matthew, but this is in the book of the Acts because Saul, uh, uh, Saul is a Pharisee. And, and um, he has been looking for the coming of the Messiah. And he is an opponent of this new sect of Jews who have now decided to follow this local rabbi named Jesus. And, and they're continuing to spread his teachings even after he has been shamed fully and decisively killed by crucifixion. So Saul is standing right there and is their main spokesman when one of the early leaders in the early church named Stephen is stoned to death and he is standing there right in front of them. And it, this doesn't disturb Saul. He's now emboldened to stamp out this dangerous teaching. So in Acts chapter 9, it says that he asked um, uh, the leaders of the synagogues, he asked them for letters to go to uh, a town called Damascus so that if he found anybody following or belonging to the way, and that is those people that are following Jesus, men or women, he might bind them up and bring them back to Jerusalem. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 verse 3, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone, shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? You know, that word Lord means uh, he is the one who is actually God. And so while Saul is coming from the synagogues, from the leaders, with letters of authority to go bind the people of God, he encounters the risen Jesus on the way who says, wait a minute, those letters don't mean nothing. And before you know it, Saul is saying, I have encountered a greater authority than these letters are backed up by. I have encountered the risen Lord. And, and Jesus now sets him on mission to go do his work. Because listen, no matter what it looks like politically, religiously, socially, Jesus is the authority. He can turn enemies into friends. He can turn darkness into light. He can turn oppression into freedom. And, and if, it's, if he doesn't do it, it's not because he doesn't have the authority. Listen, child of God, what that means is that all things work together for good to those who are called and those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. He will work all things for, for your good and for his glory because Jesus has all authority in his hands. Amen?
And there's great comfort in knowing that Jesus has all authority. And, and, and because we know that Jesus has all authority, it really kind of emboldens us to be able to follow his clear instructions. We go under his authority, but we have Jesus' clear instructions to make more disciples, to see more lives radically and eternally change through an encounter with Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. To paraphrase, these are Jesus' instructions. As you go, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them into this body of Christ and teaching them to observe or obey. Everybody say obey. Everything that I've commanded you to do. Now notice that he did not say, go therefore and make converts of all nations. He's not simply looking to see people uh, converted, okay, and to say, you know what, I now believe in Jesus. I'll join New City Fellowship. Um, I appreciate Pastor John's teaching and preaching. I love uh, the fact that we can come and eat good food on Thursdays, right? Um, I, I, I love, uh, 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 you know, our, our, our worship leader singing. I just love the fellowship. Uh, he's not, Jesus didn't say just make converts. And, and Jesus didn't just say make students. You know, a student is someone who is studying. Y'all were students, right? Everybody here, right? Some of y'all didn't stay as long as others in school, but you were students. And a student, we study a particular uh, profession or, or a particular subject, um, we come, become proficient in that subject. It's not just in school. It might be in music. It might be, you know, video games. I don't know. Uh, it might be in sports. Um, but, but these are when you become proficient in a subject. We've got a lot of people who are Christian students. God has not called us just to be studiers of Christianity, right? We've got a lot of us that love to study theology, right? We, we love to talk about how much we read our Bible. We even love to talk about how much we might pray. But what God has called us to be is a disciple. And a disciple is a follower of another person. A disciple commits him or herself to that person and to their way of life. The word of the teacher, the word of the rabbi, the word of the master that you are following means more than the opinions of family or friends. It means more than your possessions. It doesn't matter what the government is saying. You ain't following that. I am only concerned with what my Lord has to say. Jesus' disciples spent about three and a half years with him. Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book uh, I read a few years back called Outliers. And in this book, he describes how anybody who is an expert in anything, right? He talked about the Beatles. He talked about uh, sports figures. Anybody who is an expert in anything has spent approximately 10,000 hours in studying that particular thing, right? And, and if you think back in your life, there's probably something that you've spent 
10,000 hours studying, right? Ho hopefully, it's not, you know, just studying other people, right? But, and just criticizing them, right? Because some of us, some of us are experts in that. But, but you may have spent, if you were, if you, if, if you had a, a lot of time in sports, it's most likely that from the time you were young, you know, about to the time you got into high school, you spent about 10,000 hours. You know, you watch, uh, I think the finals is on today, right? So you, you watch Chris Paul as he's dribbling that basketball. You're like, man, how does he do that and stop on a dime and bring it back? And he's been at this for some time. About 10,000 hours. Did you know that if we were to calculate the time that the disciples were with Jesus, maybe about 10 hours a day, seven days a week, maybe taking a couple days off in the month for three and a half years. That's about 10,000 hours. Experts in Jesus. Not just proficient in Jesus, but experts in Jesus. Are you an expert in Jesus? Now listen, that 10,000 hours you, you don't have to think about, okay, well, I have not spent that much time in Jesus, so I am not yet a disciple. Here's what the idea is, that you commit to being a disciple because the only way to truly know what he loves and to love the way that he loves and to know how he has interacted with this world and to interact and love our world as he has and to even expect what he has expected is to spend time Following him, knowing him, loving him, watching him, speaking to him, listening to him, knowing him. Mark Dever has said this, being a disciple of Christ does not begin with something we do. It begins with something Christ did. And here's why I say that, because I need you to understand that you don't begin being a disciple simply by yourself. This is, this is one of the great news of the gospel because we are saved by God's grace through faith even when you weren't thinking about God. And I know that there are some of you who can have that testimony that says, I was not really pursuing Jesus and somebody came and presented him to me and, and even though I denied him for years and years and years, there was one day when something got a hold of me and I said, I've got to follow. And so through faith in Christ, by believing that Jesus lived a perfect and righteous life that we're, we're failing to live and we could never live, and he lived it on our behalf. And he went to the cross and died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And not just the sins I'm doing tomorrow, for my past, my present, and my future sins. And believing that you're trusting God to not only forgive your sins, but to wipe all of those violations from your permanent record. All on the basis of what Jesus has already done. touches your heart, and you say, Lord, I repent, and my faith is in you and you alone. It doesn't begin really with something you do. It began with something that he has already done. Anytime Jesus went 
um, to, to, to call a disciple. He did not sit down with Matthew, right? He didn't sit down with Matthew because Matthew was a tax collector, probably stealing everybody's money, right? That's what tax collectors did back in those days. And you'll notice that he did not sit down at Matthew's uh, table and said, dude, let's, <laughs> you know, I, I see you have some skills and abilities, and I'd love for you to follow me, but we got to talk about this paperwork. We've got to talk about this accounting. Do you remember? He passed by Matthew's table, looked over at him and said, follow me. I'm sure they had the discussion somewhere down the line, but he was already following. And so I just want to encourage somebody today, don't worry about 10,000 hours. Don't worry about whether or not you're proficient enough. Don't worry about whether or not you know enough. Don't worry about whether you're dressed right. Don't worry about whether or not you're doing the right thing. Follow Jesus because he's calling you to be his disciple. And the Bible says that, Jesus says that we are to make disciples of how many nations? All nations. All nations. Aren't you glad you live in South Florida? You don't have to go nowhere for all nations. Right? Right, right here in Hollywood. All nations. Right? Every nation, that's your neighbor. Every nation, that's your coworker. Every nation, that's your Uber driver. Every nation, that's your grocery store worker. Amen? That's your broker. <clears throat> they need to know from you that their lives can be radically changed for eternity when they encounter the resurrected Christ as you have. Amen? Are you charged today? Amen. And not only do we know that Jesus has complete authority and we have his clear instructions, we have the comforting presence of our Lord. Listen to what he says. In Matthew 28, 19, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, look at this. Behold, watch this. Behold, I need you to see this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. To the end of your life, beyond your life, into eternity. You never have to worry about whether or not Jesus is with you. We already saw he has all authority it doesn't matter what sphere you go into, right? doesn't matter if it's on your job. doesn't matter if, if it's in your relationship. doesn't matter if, you, if, if somehow you've made some choices in life and you found yourself in a relationship where someone is manipulating you or someone is taking advantage of you. They don't have more authority than your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that should, that should encourage you that his presence is right there with you. His presence is there. And, and can you imagine these disciples are standing there? Jesus is supposed to be dead. And I can only imagine, I mean, is he going to die again? How, how is this even possible? 
And, and what's going to happen is just a little bit from now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, so if we're following the chronology of what's, what's happening, um, Jesus is eventually going to ascend back up into heaven, right? Spoiler alert, right? <laughs> but before he does so, he talks to his disciples, and he tells them that they are to go back into Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father that he is going to send to them. So let me mention something to you as I close. Until Jesus' death, Israelites had come from all over the world in order to worship God at one place. Where was the presence of God? In Jerusalem, in the tabernacle, or in the temple. That's where the Holy of Holies was. That's where... Uh, there was this piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. Before Christ came, that's the only place where they knew the presence of God lived. When they came out of Israel, you know, there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and they saw God's presence with them. And that became eventually when they stopped localized in the tabernacle. And eventually when they went into the promised land, localized into the temple. That is where they worshiped. That's where they brought sacrifices to pay for their sins. That's where they came together to pray. That's where they could meet God at the temple. But after the events here in our text, the disciples follow Jesus' instructions to meet in an upper room to pray until he says they would be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, right? We know that the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts chapter 2, while they are in this upper room praying, it says that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends. And, and, and look what happens. For the people, about 120 people that are sitting there, flames of fire appear over their heads. Just like the pillar of fire that represented the presence of God that led the ancient Israelites from slavery in Egypt into the wilderness. Just like the fire that, that they would see over this Ark of the Covenant or the fire that they would make as they made sacrifices to God. Just like the fire that they saw in Exodus chapter 19 when they came out of the land of Egypt and they saw the presence of God on the mountain. Fire and smoke and noises. And on this day, the day of Pentecost, they hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind. They see fire on their heads, and they began to speak in languages they don't even understand. And, they begin, and what they are doing is witnessing to people who are coming from all nations about the good things of God. What do we learn from that? Now we, who have placed our trust and faith in Jesus, we no longer have to go to Jerusalem in order to worship God. Guess what God has done when you placed your faith and trust in Christ? He has filled you with his Holy Spirit. And now we are the temple of God. 
And because of his promise, we know that his presence is with us at all times wherever we go. You have the presence of God with you. So when we think about what Jesus has said, I am with you always. He's not saying, you know what, when you call me, I may not come when you want me, but I'll be there right on time. He's saying, lo, I am with you. How long? Always, even to the end of the age. And at the end of the age, Jesus will be back here with us physically. But even now, until then, his very real presence is with us, never leaving you, never forsaking you. Through his Holy Spirit, he's living inside those of us who are trusting in him to save us. He's not just watching over you. Angels are not just watching over you. Behold, lo, check this out. He is with you right now. Amen? So, when I'm apprehensive about talking to a friend or a neighbor or a family member or a co-worker, about my relationship with Jesus, I need to remember that he's with me. You know, at one point, Paul went into Corinth, and, you know, things got a little dicey there. And he began to pray because, it, you know, he's like, I got to get out of this town. They're probably going to stone me. God encouraged his heart in prayer, spoke to him and said, listen, I've got all kinds of people in this city already. All I need you to do is just go out and witness of what I've already done for you. All I need you to do is go out and make disciples. It's going to get hairy sometimes. You're going to wonder if I'm even there. But I need you to understand I've got complete authority. I've already got control of everything you think you might have concerns about. You already have my instructions to make more disciples the same way that I am loving you and pouring into you. And, I, and here's what I want to encourage New City about. Don't be satisfied being a convert. Don't be satisfied being a student. That's not what this congregation is here for. This congregation is here to make disciples. And so what that means is and, and disciples always comes within the context of the church. What that means is you're going to have to open yourself up to somebody else being able to instruct you in the way that they have been instructed in the way that they have been instructed by someone else. You can open yourself up to the idea that I've got more to learn about how much Jesus loves me and how much he has, uh, what he has done for me in his word that I can learn in his word because he's got authority. He's got his clear instructions. And I think most of all, the thing that really helps me is knowing that he is always with us, that I can experience his presence even more when I am about what he is about, when I am making disciples. You know, yesterday we were, I was actually on Hollywood Beach, a friend of mine, um, started a ministry where we, where she really desires to try to provide some necessary items for homeless people. 
And so here we are on the beach yesterday um, just walking up and down, and I couldn't find any homeless people. Couldn't find people that, you know, just uh, were on the street. And so I'm praying now, Lord, can you just direct me to somebody? I got some stuff here I want to give them, right? And, you know, honestly, throughout the week, the week was kind of challenging, you know, and um, there had been all kinds of things that had happened to where, you know, I, I don't know, I, am I the only one that sometimes you wonder, God, are you there? Are you with me? <laughs> and, and, you know, while I was walking, doing what God has called me to do, right, which is at least to seek out someone that you can introduce to Jesus to say, become a follower and to make a disciple, my heart was encouraged. My heart was encouraged as I began to pray and walk the streets, realizing that there are probably all kinds of people around here that have never been introduced to Jesus. And I know that my life is not just made better. My life has purpose. My life has meaning. My life will go on for all eternity because I have met Jesus and have followed him. And it's in the context of doing that that I am assured of his, of his authority. I am assured of his presence. Sometimes we just need to get out and do what Jesus has said, which is to go, which is to go. Amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.